Oh yeah, that's right. We need a topic. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. What should be on your church blog? Five questions with Kenny Zhang and top posts from around the web. On this episode of the Church Mag Podcast, we're going to be talking about what you should have on your church blog. Your, your church has a blog. We've talked about it before, how it's a great idea to have a blog on your church website. But what exactly should you put on the blog in the first place? And I think maybe the easiest place to start is what you should not put on your church blog, which is often what church blogs turn into, and that is an announcement page. Do not blog announcements. I, I completely agree. Announcements, um, it's, it's, it's boring, it's tedious, no one's engaged, no one's sharing that information. And I think to me, the goal of your church blog is to provide people with content that they enjoy and they can share with others. So to me, your church blog should be a place to extend the sermon, maybe, maybe, maybe make that a more practical place. Like, here, our sermon on Sunday was about this. Here's how you can practically apply that in your life. Or to add extra teaching on the similar topic, either through a blog post or a video uh, post. And I think photos, I think photos are huge to your blog. Uh, I mean, if you use a nice little app called uh, Pressgram, can send all of your photos from church events straight to your blog, and it makes your church look alive and exciting. Yeah, I, I think that that is a real profound way to add value to your church blog, is making it an extension of a sermon, or maybe even a precursor to a sermon, so that, you know, a pastor could reference, you know, you may have seen the video on on the blog earlier this week. You know, that kind of thing. That can be a real dynamic and creative way to engage the blog with everyday kind of church life, so to speak. But, you know, we said don't publish information about upcoming events, but it can be a good look back, like what you're saying, like with, if you're using the Pressgram app, or you're just uploading them, just doing a blog post. Like, you know, here are some pictures from the church picnic, and then having, you know, cool and fun pictures on there, because people love to see themselves. Exactly. I think for me... I did a ebook for youth workers that's not even out yet, but talking about 52 different ways to have content for churches that out of those 52 ways, one of them is market content. And so that's 51 other ways. And surprise, surprise, it's once a week you can blo- write a blog article. But the idea of being able to have interaction with your church, even though it's the Internet, I think is the best way to be able to just completely engage with people. And, it, and I think one big thing to think about when we're doing this is who is your target audience? And there's a lot of churches that want to engage with their congregation more. Great. There's also a lot of people that want to find new people to come to their church as well. Awesome. So I think you have to have a little bit of distinction there of, do you want to be posting blog articles and video, po- video chats with people that are never been to your church or people that are completely coming to your church and you gear it a little bit to that. But at the same time, I think you can have an amazing approach of what happens if at the end of your sermon, you say, if you have any questions, leave them on our blog and we'll actually answer them in a video chat within the next week. Or you have your own setup to your sermon where um, three days before you actually give the sermon, you give a five, 10 minute um, video blog article where you just there and you talk about some of the stuff that you do. And if that's too much, maybe after the sermon's done, you don't actually give all the information. If you've given any kind of a sermon before, you know that you only give a portion of the information you look up. So why not go on to the blog and share everything else that you have because you want to make sure that the full context is there. Or maybe 
you don't read the whole Bible passage, but you would love for people to actually explore something like that. So you use that for your blog article. I think that you have the capacity to expand the message, to go deeper into the message, to have people start engaging with the message even before you deliver it on Sunday morning. Such a great opportunity for being able to go that next step. Right, and I would say don't don't forget that it's a blog. The thing about blogging is that it's not just about writing. Sure, you write when you compose a blog post, but a lot of times a blog post can be just a video or like you're saying about the audio of the sermon. Instead of putting the sermons, you know, instead of quarantining it to just like the sermons page, if you would do a blog post on a sermon, you know, have, have it embedded there, the, the, the podcast link, or maybe even just a snippet from the sermon where people could can go and they can comment like you said you know if you have any comments or questions or anything you know they can find it you know on the blog or maybe everyone knows that on monday they can go to the website and it's posted on the blog the sermon and people can make comments and and that sort of thing like like you're saying so that that the blog portion of the church website doesn't become the ghost town that so many have become yeah for me i promote videos for churches because a lot of pastors have a difficult transition from writing a sermon for Sunday to before and after writing a blog post. And I've seen a lot of different churches that do not write really good blog posts because they're still in that sermon frame of mind where they they need to fill 30 minutes. And so when they write their blog articles, they're still trying to fill 30 minutes. But just as I'll share a little blog secret. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are about ready to unleash a secret? Yes. I'm giving away all the church mag secrets right now. Oh my gosh. I know. But the, just the idea that you're writing with the intentionality of the internet. So your shortens, your sentences are short. Your blog articles themselves are short. You're going for 11 words per sentence at most, but then also trying to get that three to five paragraphs, a good image, bullet points. And that's it. Whereas a sermon is what? Six to 10 pages long of paragraphs doesn't work on the internet. Phil, is this the portion of the podcast where we're talking about blogging, we're talking about preaching, and you go ahead and flex your knowledge about both because you do both? Sure. I can, we can do that. Such when, uh, I'm going through a transition in my church I'm, I'm position, and so one of the things I'm going to try and do more is more social media and blogging for the church. And so basically, on Sundays, when I sit in um, the sanctuary and uh, the lead pastor is preaching, I mean, I'm listening to the sermon, but then on Monday, I'm going to go, I try to go online. I've done it once or twice now, and I'm going to go online and basically blog his sermon. Not like an exact copy, but I'm taking my, because I'm a different person, take my spin on his sermon and represent it in the blog format. Uh, and then there'll be linked to the audio. And so basically, if you guys you missed Sunday, here's 300, 400 words on what we did Sunday, and here's the audio. So that's part of what we're going to be doing with that. I love Jeremy's idea. Uh, if you've got questions on this topic, please post on our blog, and we'll do a video chat with you. I think it's a genius idea. I think pastors should be willing to do a, you know an AMA session, ask me anything on their blogs, putting the pastor out there for people to not to, to quiz or play stump the pastor, but for, for the pastor to be seen as somebody who is trying to get information, answers, and and content into people's hands, I think is, a, is an amazing idea. I think that your church website should be, or your church blog, I guess we're focusing on, should be what a blog was meant to be, a web blog. It should be a log of all that's going on in your church. It should be life affirming and that your church is alive photos videos actual articles helpful hints tips 
free resources, all that stuff, anything that can be provided to people that might interest them or improve their lives or give them something else to share with their friends and family. That is exactly what a, what a blog should be. What about cat videos? No cat videos. Cat videos should be stricken from the internet. Cats are the harbinger of the devil. Don't you read the Bible, Eric? Snakes and cats, they're evil. Do you have any pushback, Jeremy? Yeah. <laughs> On the cats, no. <laughs> um, I think that as far as um, knowing that the church is alive, that in and of itself is a great statement for writing content. And in the reality of all this stuff, I think that a pastor is probably the one that's pushing for the blog, but does the pastor have time for the blog? No. And I'm trying to start this some series of what are church techies thinking and just to be able to talk about the fact that we want things in our lives, but we probably don't have the bandwidth to do them. So is the blog something that you really want to do? And if the pastor is going to do it, great. But what happens if he doesn't have the bandwidth to compete completely write out all the articles for the series for an entire month? The best thing about a church is you have church elders, you have other church leaders, you have staff admin, you have um, the whole entire staff team of church techies and worship people. You also have volunteers at your church, parents that are helping send their kids. All these different people might be willing to invest in your blog if you ask them, even if you just ask them to write one article every quarter. How amazing, how much content could you actually get in there where you're having the elders speak on to the blog of, why they made the decision to pass this different um, amendment to the church vision or whatever. Or you have a parent that's talking about how amazing the youth ministry is after their church camp, that you get people endorsing your church from a third party aspect that speaks so much more volumes than if you self promote. And yeah. so I think that you have such a great resource of content to draw from that is not just the pastor. He probably proofs it before he goes live, but he probably doesn't have the time to go all in with a blog, but you can still do it. We had a, actually asked a lady um, back in this was probably February or March to write a blog post for our, our church blog, and she did a great job. It was fantastic. And uh, we were going to follow it up with like once every month, but then her, uh, her husband got ill and they had some – some family issues, but it was powerful. I mean, she really loved doing it. It made her feel like she was really helping out. And I think people got a lot out of seeing a layperson uh, share the word. It was very cool. Yeah. And I think it can add an entirely new level of interaction between people that may normally not even maybe be friends in the same circles or um, are around each other much. And it can really make a, especially a large church seem smaller as, as you were saying, Jeremy, elders and deacons and, and like you were saying, Phil, just a church member kind of sharing thoughts and ideas and that sort of thing. It can really make a church seem smaller because it, a blog can be a real person place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it can also be a great place to show the fun side of church. I don't think church necessarily gets to show off the love, the joy, the happiness of a church. And you can use the blog as a place to see what goes on at church between Monday and Saturday, the antics that happen between the senior pastor and youth pastor, the admin that's always doing something funny, whatever, and have a Call it web exclusives where you're giving a behind the scenes of the church that you're showing off the bloopers when you were 
trying to do those video announcements or this film that goes with a sermon, but mm-hmm. it just didn't work out right. I mean, at the end of this podcast, we have bloopers. It's a great part of an entire process. And so let the entire church feel human where it's funny, it's entertaining, and it's relational. On this episode's five questions, we have Kenny Zhang. He is the Godvertiser. Kenny, welcome to Five Questions. Great. Great to be here. Awesome. Question number one, what's your favorite social media network? Well, that changes over time. But right now, I would say um, it's a struggle of attention between Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is the site that you want to love, but that it makes it so easy to hate because they keep changing the game on you and just doing everything possible to uh, figure out how to make you pay. So uh, it would be between those two. Um, Twitter has been uh, tremendously positive and constructive to find new people to have conversations with, connect with them, etc. So uh, that's been a great platform for me personally. And Again, uh, Facebook is just something that we use, and it's, it has such a great reach. But it's just uh, has a lot of friction if you are on the publisher or the uh, the community manager side. Second question. Now, this for some people is a little bit personal, or they're a little bit embarrassed to say. And that question is: Where do you keep your mobile phone at night? <laughs> Um, I actually keep it by my bed, uh, where I would say the rest of America does. Uh, but I will say I do not take it into the bathroom like much of America. Apparently, I just read something that 70% of people bring their smartphones or tablets with them to the bathroom. Yes, it's true. It's a true story. And what's more troubling is the statistic of those that admit using it while using the restroom. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not a, I'm not amongst that group yet, but... Um... Yet? Oh, no. <laughs> so if, if someone calls you, they don't have to worry about your location. That's good to know. All right, Kenny. Name your three most favorite blogs. Well, I would say there's um, one of my colleagues of mine, Rich Birch. He runs a blog called Unseminary. Um, I think that's a great one. Another one is churchmarketingsucks.com. That is well known. Um, And uh, ChurchMag. I I think that's that's one that we keep up with regularly. Awesome. All right. Well, then we'll go ahead and finish out the five questions since uh, you got that last one right. (laughs) All right. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? Ah, that's a great question. Um, From an early age, you know, I wanted to either run the Olympics or huge, big events or um, go into advertising. I remember... Um, maybe not that young, but when I was a student, my parents used to yell at me because uh, with the doors closed, I used to thumb through the newspapers looking at all the advertisements um, and noticing things such as here in the States, the New York Times, the Tiffany's always has a certain location on a certain page um, day in, day out. And why is that? And um, just different things. So I geeked out on messaging and communications and advertising um, just from a really, really young age. Um, and then the event side, just um, always figuring out how to um, bring community together. I think it was just, it was always fun as a kid going to big events. And so growing up, I wanted to just, you know, create a lot more of them. So um, my job today in vocation is a little bit of both. So I'm a little happy, um, almost like that seven year old. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome, Kenny. Fifth and final question, what app do you recommend the most? Ooh. We're talking 
like some serious pro tip right here. <laughs> I mean, we've got Cunny Jang. We've had he's he is the advertiser. He is the expert in social media advertising messaging. The most recommended app that you have for people. Well, I can say I'm a. Um, it's a little hard for me to recommend because I actually literally just went to the Apple Store uh, about two weeks ago, and there was apparently a crowd of the Genius Bar guys uh, crowding around. My phone, because apparently I have um, 372 apps on my phone. Oh my! And they just not have seen that many apps on a consumer's phone before, which um, doesn't lend that much um, confidence to the Genius Bar <laughs> when you have all the geniuses guys huddling around my phone. Um, and you're like, hey, who's the genius now? Yeah, so I, I mean, I love trying out new apps, and I actually use so much um, of the productivity that the apps bring to you. Um, I would say um, right now, Downcast is a favorite of mine. Uh, Downcast is a podcast app where you're not relying on synchronizing, syncing with iTunes. Um, you can download over the air. You can discover, etc. You can play back. Um, I'll have to put Church Mag's podcast on there immediately after this uh, interview. Um, and so that's something that's on the go, keeps me productive, uh, whether I'm on the car or in the train. That's that's a great one. And then the other, I guess, if I were to help, hopefully be able to nominate a couple others, is the Google Drive and Dropbox apps. Um, totally useful for on the go. And then for productivity, uh, I would also say um, Odesk which is a, a great app to manage all my outsourced help um, because I hire virtual assistants and outsource people all the time on odesk.com. And the last one I would recommend is Trello. Trello is a great alternative to Basecamp for managing projects. It's free and it, it really is set up in a very intuitive way using note cards and you can swap them around, assign them to people. Um, a great project management uh, option for a lot of people, Trello. Awesome. Kenny Jang on the Church Mag Podcast. Thank you so much. Top posts from around the web. Phil, what do you got for us, man? I have an article of epic proportions. Terminator-style cube robots swarm and self-assemble. Uh, well, I'll let you soak that in again, and I'll repeat myself. Terminator-style cube robots swarm and self-assemble. Uh, it's, a, it's a CNET article about an MIT project. Uh, there's little bitty cubes the size of, like, a letter blocks in a kid's uh, playset. Uh, M, they're called M-blocks, and essentially they have a... Um, a flywheel inside them that allows them to move and they have magnetics that allow them to attach to each other. And so you can program them to, to move themselves and to assemble into a, a shape or that you desire. And I am creeped out beyond belief. Well, and if I think I read it right, it also has RFID tags. So it knows where the placement of it is and it's connected Wi-Fi, so that a central hub can shape and mold the entire setup so that it's automatically morphing as it goes along so that it's not exactly. just one one setup and then you have to reprogram it's always yeah. modifying if it wants to be exactly i watched a i watched a video on it on the blog post and basically said you know most robots you use a servo or use this or that and the it's got one purpose and it's good at that one thing but it fails on other tasks using this technology they can basically uh, send robots into space or into other environments that we can't go, and the robot can reassemble itself for any uh, purpose or problem it faces. 
And again, I'm terrified. Where did you find this, Phil? I was just, I, I follow CNET. I'm always reading their stuff. They, they always have really crazy sci-fi and science posts like this. Double rainbow, Phil. What does it mean? Here's my question, okay? I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. This is the stuff we see. What goes on that we don't see? What technology is out there that we are unaware of? I think they have, they have developed, you know, this is Terminator style, like the liquid metal Terminator that could reassemble itself. Guys, it's a brave new world. Well, they've already re- um, released patents for invisibility cloaks, so we know that's out there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I think I just heard Jeremy put on his tinfoil hat. <laughs> uh, you have no idea sometimes. So you're saying right now, I may not be alone in this room? Yeah. That's creepy. But Phil, Jesus is always with us. That's true. But he's my homeboy, so I'm not worried. Unlike Terminator, he's got your back. Exactly. Terminator has my back and then rips it out of my body. And the reality is, is you haven't heard my son, so maybe my son's in there with you. That's really creepy. Jeremy, do you have a story? Because we need to get out of this topic really fast before I start lining the walls with foil. Tin foils off. So my blog article is Google Plus finally passes 1 billion users. And it's this interesting approach to what is it that is going on with social media. If you're a Dustin Stout fan, we, I feel like we need to reference him every single podcast now. So if you're a Dustin Stout follower, I don't want to use the word disciple, but it's starting to get old, Dustin. I'm pretty sure that there is Kool-Aid drinking that goes on when it comes to Google. So you could probably use that kind of terminology. Well, and I am 100% all in with Google+. Plus. I'm just not sold out as it's better than any other thing out there because it has its shortcomings as well. But it just got a billion users. Um, if you read the great infographic that Dustin made, it's good. So I, I think that it's interesting to see that... The Google Plus has a billion users, but even more impressive than that is that how many hits that they are getting from people on the internet from Google Plus. So Facebook has established itself as this wall garden. Nobody can get in and out, but it's been such an amazing hit for active users. I think they have 1.1 billion active users, whereas um, Google Plus only has 300, 300 million active users. But because you go do all your Google searches and you're still logged into your Google Plus account that spans every Google product out there, they are still getting results of where you're at geolocation, what you're personally searching for as they tie it into all the other searches. And they can create this huge profile of people within the entire um, world that has specific cultural approaches to how they search for different terms, um, all these different ad-specific ways to curate their content and the reality is is if facebook doesn't do something that they're going to completely lose out very quickly because of google's approach to social media at the same time i kind of have a mixed feeling about the way google has integrated their social networking with their web tools the the ability to do a google search you know just to do a search and get the best the best results in the world to me, is more appealing than getting the best results of what they think that I would want. You know, it's like a biased search. I don't know. At the same time, it's kind of cool that they're they're making search intelligent 
and fetching what I would probably be looking for when searching for something. So I don't know. To me, it's kind of a mixed bag. In, in some ways, it's kind of cool that they're making the, the, the search function, the core of what Google is, um, smarter in that sense or more alive. But at the same time, it seems like it, it's kind of poisoning the pool a little bit. But at the same time, it's also establishing that someone that has great voice is searching for these different things because they receive tons of plus ones on their network. It's also establishing that I'm part of these different communities and I have these beliefs or interests, and yet I'm never searching for any of those terms because I have the knowledge or I am always searching for them and I'm barely engaged in these communities. I think that that helps a lot too. Yeah, but... It's it's still all of it seems like a game to me, you know. And if you're not willing to play the Google game, then you miss out being a search having anything to do with the quality of your content. You're just you're playing the game, and it, it, it's still a game at that point. Yep. So I, yep. maybe, maybe there's no way to to beat that. I don't know. <laughs> I think we went back to sinfoil hats again. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm still reeling from the fact, Eric said they're making the search more alive. You know, I don't have much to say about Google Plus. I. I I wanted to try using it more and get more involved because I, I like how it looks. And I like the feel. And I, I like how – I'll be honest. I like how people are diehard Google Plus fans. I just – it's one of those things I don't have the time to to learn and, and dive into a third social network right now. I really enjoy Twitter, and I have Facebook because I have to have it for part of my, my job. So Google Plus is I'm, – I'm hanging on to it. I'm, I'm going to come back to it eventually, but – it hasn't caught me yet. So much of this technology comes and goes. Yeah. Know? Twitter's IPO is coming out soon, and I think Twitter's got a massive problem with all these fake followers. You can purchase followers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Facebook's IPO was a, was a bust. They just, I think, last month reached – their share price reached what the IPO was, was projected to be at launch. I think we're – heading to some small tech bubble bursts, not like we had in 01, but people are putting way too much stock in social media. And I think it's going to, it's going to come back to bite people. Yeah. But unlike any other face or any other social media network out there, Facebook, Google plus YouTube, any of those Twitter has such a huge business investment. The Super Bowl last year, there was 47 different um, Super Bowl ads that mentioned a hashtag specifically for, Twitter, and I right. think 35 or more of them were exclusively Twitter. Yeah, and now Facebook's you know, added hashtagging as well, too. So I, I think there's there's obviously signs there that Twitter's got something. I just yeah. – it's Twitter's so rife with problems. You know, the spam is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, like with Facebook, when I would get spam on Facebook before, okay, well, it's part of the, it's the add-ons and the games and whatnot. But Twitter is just Twitter. So if there's spam, it's part of Twitter's core stuff, you know, and there's an issue there. And yeah, and I think that that's that's a really interesting point because I, I saw someone recently talking about hitting a high number of Twitter followers, and I went to look at their Twitter followers, and I'm like, okay, big deal. So what if you have that many Twitter followers? So many of these look spamish or aren't real or they're not following you back. I mean, for me to say that I have, let's say I have, you know, 100,000 followers and I'm following 50,000. I mean, Church Mag right now is is following over 10,000 and I'm going to be cleaning that out because if you watch a 10,000, actually I think it's 12 or 13,000 people following and you watch the feed, I mean, it's like rapid fire. 
it's impossible. So how can you say you're following that many people? It's impossible to follow that many people. Even if you divide it into lists, it is impossible to follow that many people. And it's just, it's kind of a game. You know, I follow you, you follow me. So that it looks like I'm following a lot of people. And, you know, it, it's kind of like with the, the church blogging content that we talked about at the beginning, and it's kind of like what you're saying about what we've talked about, Google taking the social networking and combining with the search engines. When push comes to shove, at the end of the day, no matter what your strategy, whether you're playing the game or not, okay, you don't have to play the game. You don't have to follow all the SEO strategies because if you have awesome content, eventually somebody's going to find it. Eventually someone's going to read it. So the number one thing that you should always worry about when it comes to any of this stuff is actually providing content worth following because if your Twitter's good, your Facebook's good, your Google Plus is good, and you're writing good content on your blog, all this other stuff is kind of going to come and go, and it's going to be like the tides of the ocean coming up and going down and coming up and going down. And if you're providing awesome content, people are going to follow it. I think the real question is, would you rather have Batman or Superman give you communion? I don't know if... Salvation extends to Kryptonians, so I don't know how that works. Because like, they're are they a fallen race? I assume they were. Their planet blew up. We're a fallen race, and our planet has yet to blow up. Yet you said yet, sir. We are hosted at Buzzsprout.com. That's why you're so awesome.